From the CQ Roll Call Newsroom in Washington, this is the Big Story Podcast, your nonpartisan news source for how Congress and the federal government shape the real world. There's already been an ocean of analysis about the Democratic sweep in Tuesday's off-year election as an early referendum on President Trump. So this Big Story Podcast is going to take a different look at the results. Specifically, what do they mean for control of Congress in the midterm election next year? I'm David Hawkins, senior editor at CQ and Roll Call, and with me in the studio, two of our political reporters, Simone Pathay and Bridget Bowman. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Glad you guys had a little sleep on Tuesday <laughs> night and have already had a chance to look not just at the macro results, but at the micro results, which will help us discuss you know, really, what does what are the lessons, not what are the big lessons about Trump and Trump's future, but what do they say uh, about what might happen next year? So let's start with New Jersey, of all places. Most people are talking about Virginia this morning, but let's talk New Jersey. Phil Murphy, uh, and he won the governorship, actually took it away from the Republicans. Not as that wasn't a surprise. Um, but I'm wondering what, if anything, you have observed about how Murphy's win might reflect on what's now three competitive House races in New Jersey and remind us why there are now three. Yeah, so I don't think Murphy's win says all that much about down-ballot races in New Jersey next year. There are some competitive races. Democrats are targeting a bunch of Republicans who have been in Congress a long time. One of those districts, the second, actually got more competitive for Democrats yesterday with the announced retirement of Frank Lobiondo. He's been in Congress since 1995. He has a lot of strong ties to labor, so it's been difficult for Democrats to try to knock him off in the past. They now think they have a better chance. But I think you're going to see Democrats really try to tie these incumbent Republicans to Paul Ryan more so than you're ever going to hear comparisons to Chris Christie now that he's gone. That's why I don't think Murphy has all that much to do with next year's fate. Although, Simone, it is true that um, Mr. Murphy won pretty big in some of the counties that, uh, that Lobiondo currently represents and is giving up, and a couple of the counties, I believe, that uh, Ronnie Frelinghuysen and Leonard Lance represent, right? So those, the, the, the Democratic threat was sort of reinforced by the, by the statewide results? Is that Yeah, I think that's fair to say. But I think you can't ignore the history looming over this election, the fact that the Republican candidate was lieutenant governor for Chris Christie, who has had the lowest approval ratings of any governor in the country. Um, that's a pretty unique situation. Right. Also interesting to note that uh, this guy, Phil Murphy, sort of the the model of the new mm-hmm. uh, sort of what I think some consultants are saying is sort of the model for new th- new uh, candidate is the untested outsider was an investment banker, of course, which isn't all that popular, but at least was was an outsider. Bridget, can you t- can you take us through what's going on in Virginia, where we do have some congressional district results for the governor's races? So we know a little bit about how that big gubernatorial uh, outcome for Ralph Northam, who won, he I think he outperformed Hillary Clinton by several points, five mm-hmm. or six points, I believe. So so tell us, there are, now, there are at least two races in uh, Virginia for the House that are competitive. Right, sure. So kind of the broader picture, um, Democrats are certainly watching where they did well, particularly in the House of Delegate races, too, where there were maybe Republican strongholds that Democrats were able to flip. I actually got a text from a Democratic operative last night who's working in a solid Republican district. He said, these Virginia results are huge for us, and they were looking specifically at those races. Simone, I know you cover Virginia 10 and those really tight races in uh, congressional races really closely, but I think the broader kind of picture here is that Democrats are looking and seeing, okay, where were we able to kind of 
unseat these Republicans and what does that mean moving forward? So, right, the, the Virginia House of Delegates, which at, before yesterday was almost essentially two to one for the Republicans, 66 to 34, I think it was. And now the, the Democrats are just a couple of recounts away from actually retaking taking over the entire House of Delegates. Mm-hmm. Were there some uh, of those state house races that potentially could expose um, more Virginia congressmen to challenges next year, or that we just think there are the two? And can you remind me who the two are? So there's actually four districts that Democrats are targeting um, in Virginia next year. Not all of them are as competitive as Virginia 10, which is the perennial Democratic target held by Barbara Comstock. Um, In some of these districts, it's important to note that um, Northam actually did better than Clinton. Actually, he did better than Clinton in all of them, but he didn't win all of them. Um, The one that actually flipped was Virginia 2. That's held by Scott Taylor. That's a district Clinton lost that Northam won, but he overperformed Clinton in all of them. So that certainly bodes well for the Democratic Party. And down at the House of Delegates level, certainly you're seeing flip of control of some of these very conservative seats. Um, The transgender female candidate Danica Rome unseated a very conservative longtime Republican, Bob Marshall, who was an author of a so-called bathroom bill that would have limited transgender people's access to public restrooms. I think the important cautionary note here, though, is that there are maybe 20,000 people in some of these delegate districts, right? In a congressional district, we're talking about more like 700,000 people. Mm -hmm. So we don't want to extrapolate too much from these tiny districts to much bigger districts whose elections are a year out. So Scott Taylor, Mm -hmm. uh, Barbara Comstock, who represents uh, the Loudoun County suburbs north and west of Washington, where I believe Ed Gillespie the Republican loser last night actually carried Loudoun County narrowly when he ran for the Senate a couple of years ago mm. and almost scored a big upset, lost uh, Loudoun County last night by something like 10 percentage points. Um, I, any chance that Barbara Comstock, I know that uh, our current rating of that race is uh, tilt Republican. Mm-hmm. Um, a result like that perhaps will contribute to a <laughs> reassessment of that race. Remind remind us, please, who are the other two, uh, what are the other two competitive House races So, um, Dave Bratt wouldn't necessarily say it's super competitive right now, but Democrats do have a candidate and they are trying to target him in the 7th District. And then Tom Garrett is a freshman Republican in the 5th District. So now we're going to look at a couple of other parts of the country where Democrats also did well uh, in states where there are some congressional races that are pivotal to the Democrats' efforts to take back control of the House next year. Uh, A Democrat scored an upset for mayor of Manchester, New Hampshire, and in St. Petersburg, Florida, and in Fayetteville, North Carolina. Uh, Do do any of those ring a bell with either of you, Simone or Bridget, about places that that might influence a House race? Sure. So Manchester is is part of the first district, which has been competitive for years, has flipped back and forth. It's now an open seat. So both parties think that they have a pretty chan- pretty good chance of winning it next year. We'll see. We have it rated as a toss up right now. I think it's important to note that Democrats have actually been winning state house races all year. Um, they haven't been able to secure any of these special election House seats, right? I mean, everyone has touted that, you know, they've narrowed the margin from 2016 and they fell short in Georgia 6, of course. But up until last night, they had already won, actually flipped eight Republican held seats, state House seats. And last night they flipped three more in Georgia, right? Three Republican, uh, there were special elections for three Republican right. state House seats in Georgia right. and the Democrats won 
one all three. Yeah. Um, one area that you didn't mention that kind of caught my eye last night was the county council in Delaware County in Pennsylvania. Uh, Delaware County is in the Philly suburbs. This is Pat Meehan's district, a Republican congressman, one of the targeted districts in the Philly suburbs. When I was up there in August canvassing with one of the Democratic candidates, he said they were going to watch the 2017 elections to see what that said. So they seemed excited about that result. Again, the caveat that these are really local races, small electorate, but that they were seeing that as an indicator of enthusiasm in these in this traditionally Republican area. And, and in, in, in this part of Pennsylvania, the Democrats did well, we assume. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the Democrats won uh, a couple county council seats there, and that's the first time in a number of years that they've been able to break through. That We should maybe just step back now and look sort of at the big picture, the big map. Mm-hmm. Which, can you just rattle off a couple of chunks of the country that people should sort of keep their eye on where there's a, where there's a disproportionate share of seats. Well, there's a lot in New York, yes. which Bridget can talk yeah, about. Yeah, there are a number in New York. It's kind of interesting. New York and California are two areas where Democrats yeah. think they can pick up a bunch of seats. Um, so these are areas in New York, areas in upstate New York that either Clinton did fairly well or that they see the incumbents as particularly vulnerable. Um, in California, Democrats are targeting uh, a number of seats in Orange County that are traditionally Republican that Clinton won. Uh, we actually, someone and I put together our 10 most vulnerable incumbents list uh, this week that came out in the House and Senate. And we had our top most vulnerable incumbent in the House is Daryl Issa from California. Uh, so kind of indicative of, of where Democrats are looking to be competitive to. Uh, right, Daryl, I said the, the, the richest member of Congress. Right. The, many, many, many listeners probably remember him from his time as chairing the Government Reform and Oversight Committee. Mm-hmm. He's the, the Carl Arm King. He's got a very distinctive persona. The other top 10 vulnerable, um, most vulnerable uh, incumbents, several from California, a couple from New York, and then, mm-hmm. a, and then I think also on the list, uh, the person we talked about a few minutes ago, Barbara Comstock, yes. already on. Yes. On the list. She was already on the list, um, as well as two folks from Minnesota and one Democrat from Arizona. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. And then rem- remind us the most basic math of all, if you would. Um, I'll, I'll talk, I know either of you can answer it, whoever <laughs> feels like it. Um, the math is that the Republicans have, have how many seats the Democrats, how many seats, so how many seats have to change for the Democrats to take control? 24 is the magic number. That's mm. the magic number. So that they have to gain. They have to get the Republicans have to lose or the Democrats have to gain a net of 24 seats next year mm-hmm. to flip the House. Uh, and with each passing day, uh, there are more and more open seats, some of which are becoming competitive, some some not. Uh, several seats in Texas that have opened up in recent days, uh, Ted Poe, Lamar Smith, Jeb Henserling, none of those three have sort of been added to the mix of uh, potential Democratic pickups. Right. Um, the one I would kind of put an asterisk by maybe is Lamar Smith's seat. There's a Democratic candidate there who had outraised uh, Smith in the past two fundraising quarters. His name is Joseph Kopser. Um, he is a veteran. He is someone that Democrats are excited about. But the numbers in that district still point that it's pretty solidly Republican. But of those three, it's probably one that Democrats are looking at more. We just have a few seconds uh, left, mm-hmm. but we should we should recall that there is one more. There is one congressional election uh, coming up in a couple of weeks. It's a yes. special Senate election uh, in Alabama. Uh, what's the outlook for that? So the special election in Alabama is December 12th. It's Judge Roy Moore, Republican versus attorney uh, Doug Jones. And uh, 
Moore is in a pretty good position. Alabama's a solidly Republican state. He's ahead in public polling. But a number of his controversial statements and make him a little more vulnerable than maybe another Republican in that state. Uh, so Democrats are, are looking at that. They're going to try and kind of boost energy there to see if they can pull out a win. But they know that that's a tall order. That is, the, by the way, the, the Senate seat uh, that Jeff Sessions gave up to become attorney general. A guy named Luther Strange held it for a few months but got defeated by Roy Moore in the primary. Uh, that's all we have time for today. We could sit and, and chew the fat over dozens more races. But thank you, uh, Bridget Bowman and Simone Pathay, two of uh, CQ and Roll Call's best political reporters. I'm David Hawking, senior editor at CQ and Roll Call. Thank you for joining us. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher or on NPR One. And for more on this and other stories, visit RollCall.com or find us on Twitter at CQNow or at RollCall.